HawkeyeInsider.com, Swarmcast, Sean Bach, David Eichel here talking about Sean, probably the biggest Iowa game, at least regular season home game since 1985, number three Iowa versus number four Penn State. It's been an absolutely loaded week content-wise on HawkeyeInsider.com. Uh, Sean, how have you been getting through this week? Uh, I mean, it's going to be crazy this weekend. Yeah, there's been a lot going on, obviously a lot of recruiting stuff for both football and basketball. <laughs> excuse me I feel like basketball is a uh the recruiting weekend is one that's kind of going under the radar a little bit obviously bat football is you know there's a lot of hype with it and for good reason but um yeah it should be should be really busy and then obviously the on-field implications as well with the college football playoff the Big Ten championship everything it's been a lot and you know the MLB playoffs are on too so that's kind of you know <laughs> taking taking my mind off things a bit when it comes to coverage but yeah, it's been uh, it's been hectic, but it's been a pretty good week. I was going to say, too, I mean, we have a lot of angles. We can dive into this Iowa-Penn State game. I know I uploaded a podcast earlier this week, which was me talking about a lot of Iowa stuff with with our 24-7 sports Penn State site, Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz. They do a great job over there. Later on this podcast, I had another 20-minute conversation with Tyler, who really gives an overall perspective to this Penn State team. And, Sean, I mean, nobody's predicting a high score shootout in this game. I mean, this is going to be one of those ugly, typical Iowa-Penn State games where, you know, I've really thought about this, and I think, Sean, my biggest key to this, let's just start right here, is make Penn State a one-dimensional offense. I think if you can keep Sean Clifford in the pocket and you force him to try to beat you with his arm, we saw last year he struggled with turnovers. He's having a much better season this year. But Penn State's running game is nowhere near what people expect it to be. I mean, Noah Kane's their leading rusher, 187 yards on the year, only averaging 3.2 yards per carry. But they have guys like Kevon Lee. Uh, Sean Clifford is the third. I think he's the third highest runner on that team. But, man, Jahad Dotson, he had got praised by Kirk Ferentz, probably as much as I've ever seen a player be praised by Kirk for his return game and his just work all around the field. Penn State's got some dudes on the edge, but I, again, I really think the two biggest things for me, Sean, is Iowa win the turnover battle because that's just been apparent with this team. They have to, and you live with the fact if Sean Clifford can beat you with his arm and if he can make good decisions, that's a bet I think you have to take when you look at this matchup. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, we obviously we watch some of the games. We go back and, you know, we research more of the teams. And, you know, looking back to my uh, preview that I had of Penn State back in, I think it was July, yeah. I did a long write-up on them. I was I constantly just said, like, the run game is going to be the focus. Like, quarterback play is still a big question mark, obviously, with Sean Clifford's struggles last year. Turned it around towards the end of the year, but, you know, it was still – still a pretty big concern coming into this year and to see what they've done in the past game. And, you know, you could kind of see it last year because I thought Parker Washington and then uh, Jahan Dotson are two very good players, two yep. very explosive playmakers. And, you know, we didn't know what they would be like without Pat Fryermuth. Obviously they have a guy like Theo Johnson who has stepped up and been a really good catalyst for them at that tight end spot here and there. But yeah, the run game has just been like, just been kind of not, I wouldn't say non-existent, but, you know, it's similar to Iowa in that, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of production from it. There's been a couple big plays, but, you know, it hasn't been overly consistent. And the past game, you know, has really carried it. And, you know, when you're when you're a program like Penn State, you're able to recruit those guys on the outside that can make those, you know, highlight type plays and, you know, cause a lot of issues. But, you know, it's just so weird to see a Penn State team struggle 
at the running back position, getting the ball on the ground consistently, especially with the way that they've had the running backs in the past couple of years. No, definitely. And, you know, again, a guy like Theo Johnson, I mean, Sean, I've gone back and forth this myself. I'm very curious what Iowa does this week as far as defense goes, because you look at Theo Johnson is a big, fast tight end who I think is going to be a future all big 10 guy. I mean, there's a reason why Iowa put the full court press on him to try to get him to go to Iowa, but they already had the two tight ends in the class. He runs like a four, five, four 40, you know, big, strong guy, big plays, 22 yards per catch average. Hasn't been overly utilized, but he's a guy who can do some damage. But then you look at Jihad Dotson and what he does all around the field. I mean, I mean, remember, Sean, part of the reason why Iowa went to the 4-2-5 defense is because of guys like Jihad Dotson. So do you run that 4-2-5? Do you keep Dane Belton out there? Or, I mean, do you move Dane Belton to safety and then keep a guy like – you have to keep Justin Jacobs, I think, on the field with what he's done this season. Justin's big enough, fast enough to compete, at least with Theo Johnson in pass coverage. And I believe Pro Football Focus put this out the other day. I don't remember exactly what it is because I don't have it in front of me. But I think he was the only linebacker in the country to be graded above 75 in, in like pass coverage, run stopping, and, and tackles or, or something. But it was, it was a pretty crazy stat, to say the least. So what does Iowa do? Are they going to really be aggressive? Are they going to implement that quarterback spy? Are they going to have Jack Campbell drop back in coverage? Or are they going to utilize Campbell to be that quarterback spy? Um, I think there's a lot of different ways they can go with it. I mean, if you move Dane Belton up to safety, do you take out Kayvon Merriweather and his athleticism and his kind of, you know, size, or do you take out Jack Kerner, who's been a proven veteran? I mean, I think Iowa's going to throw some really new wrinkles into the fold. I still think it's going to be the same base defense trying to make Sean Clifford, for Sean Clifford to make mistakes or wait for him to make mistakes. But there's a lot of different ways I think Phil Parker uh, could go with this matchup. And that's why I'm so intrigued about how Iowa comes out on Saturday. Yeah, I I almost want to say that Iowa s- sticks more with the 4-2-5, especially with the matchup you talked about, Jahan Dotson, and, you know, limiting him. And, you know, it's that's what the 4-2-5 was made for. I think we'll see a lot of that. I think we'll see more of it. But I also think it's like, how much can you really take Justin Jacobs off the field? Yeah, You know, there's going to be tough matchups with those Penn State tight ends. They haven't been I think they have their two lean tight ends have eight and seven receptions. So, you know, it's not like a crazy amount. Obviously, Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson have been the story along with uh, Keandre Smith-Lambert. So, yeah, if you can – if you can, uh, or Keandre Lambert-Smith, I knew I botched that name. Um, <laughs> but if you, can, if you can find ways to tame those tight ends and force them to beat you on the outside, you know, I think that could be a strategy. But I also think, like, if you're Iowa, I think you want the tight ends to beat you. But, you know, it's one of those things, too, where, you know, Iowa does such a good job of staying on top and forcing opponents to have those long drives that, you know, either whichever game, pl- game plan they go with, I think it's going to work out for them, or at least, you know, matchup-wise, I think it'll work in their favor. Now, you know, how much do you want to go 4-3 if – uh, Penn State's really doing a good job using their wide receivers. Um, you know, Pat, Justin Jacobs can cover really well for his size and his position, but, you know, how much are you really going to want to use that? Mm-hmm. And Dane Belton has been very solid this year. I mean, tackling has kind of been a little bit here and there, especially against Maryland, but, you know, he's a guy that can cover multiple positions. Kayvon Merriweather's really pro- coming to his own. You know, there's so many different ways that Iowa can go about this defensive strategy but it just kind of makes sense to me that 
you know, we could see different looks. But also, like, you know, you got to adjust to the game plan. Like I said before, if you see Penn State using more of their tight ends, then, you know, run the 4-2-5 or run the 4-3. If they're not, run the 4-2-5 with Belton. I think that could be – that could definitely be a strategy that they use. Yeah, and, you know – I mean, like you said, too, it's it's all about adjusting. I mean, Sean, how many times have we seen Iowa give up a touchdown this year and then they come out lights out that next, like, three or four drives? I mean, that's just what they do. If Iowa gives up an early score, I mean, look at look what happened against Maryland. Look what happened against Colorado State. Like, they do tighten up. Now, the Colorado State game was a little bit of uh, an outlier just because of where Colorado State got the ball on the field. Like, yeah, you know, they scored two touchdowns. But remember, I think they started on the 35 and the 29 yard line of Iowa so it's not like they had to really go that far but you know flipping over the Penn State defense Sean like I said I think this is gonna be an absolute grind grinded out type game I mean I think that Iowa secondary is the best in the Big Ten but Penn State's is very closely behind very closely behind I mean you look at guy I'm a big fan of Joey Porter Jr. what he does uh, at, at corner he's got two pass deflections and interception this year but he's a guy who can really lock it up you look at Jaquan Brisker who Tyler Donahue talked about extensively and just what he's really meant uh, to that defense, especially at safety. Jair Brown has three pass deflections, three interceptions this year, 14 tackles. I mean, there's a multitude of weapons that they have. So I think it's a very good thing that Spencer Petrus has gained some confidence over the past two weeks, especially when given a clean pocket. I do think that this matchup is going to be decided by can Iowa at least utilize the run enough to open up the play action game? Can they utilize the bootleg to Sam Laporta like they did last week against Maryland? Because that play alone had three or four different first downs for the Hawkeyes. And I think that's something that they're going to utilize going forward. But I'm also curious about what are we going to see that's new? Because not that, you know, Iowa's not going to get too tricky. But I, again, I, you go back to what they did against Maryland last week. I loved how they came out right away, threw the ball out of the shotgun. It wasn't the outside zone run, outside zone run, short third yard down, short yard, third down pass. They came out aggressive. They came out with confidence and they say, hey, Spencer, go make a play. And I think Spencer made a few plays during that. And that's going to be big. But, you know, going back to this, Sean, I think we kind of knew that this was going to be a, a deciding factor. Iowa's offensive line has to be consistent. They have to play confident. Tyler Linderbaum is going to have a huge matchup in the middle with PJ Mustafer. Uh, Kyler Schott, if he's, I think he's pretty close to 100%. If not 100%, I think that's big. Flipping him over to left guard and putting Colby at right guard, I thought that was a great move. But I think the play, it's going to come down to the play of the tackles. Mason Richmond and Nick DeYoung have to continue to be confident. They have to be consistent. And they have to give Spencer Petrus a clean pocket because if Penn State forces Spencer to go out of the pocket and make some plays, I mean, that's just not going to be a wing recipe for Iowa in this one. Yeah, and, you know, I thought the offensive line did a much better job against Maryland, too. You know, we talked about Maryland causing chaos, you know, doing all these things that, you know, could make the Iowa offensive line shake and not be as confident as, you know, many expected. And, yeah, I mean, offensive line play, that has definitely been a reason why Iowa has struggled at times offensively, especially in pass protection. And you look at it with run, too, it hasn't been overly consistent, but I think they were able to take that next step last week. And, you know, how much of that will carry over into this week? I think it will. I've heard, you know, some good things about the offensive line throughout the week and, you know, the improvements, the steady improvements. And, you know, you saw it last week too, but, you know, it's really going to be important this week against Penn State because, 
you know, Iowa's not faced a, eh, I mean, I would say Iowa State had a pretty talented defensive front, but, you know, yeah. Penn State's up there as well. And that's going to be a lot similar to um, Iowa State. I think Iowa State's able to cause more havoc when it comes to rushing the passer and doing all that. Well, Penn State has a lot of really good athletes, but stays more disciplined. And that, like, correct me if I'm wrong there. I think you're right. I think they've done a good job of containing the edge. And the reality is they do the mm-hmm. work. I mean, they do what they have to do. They stay gap sound. They can get pressure on the quarterback. I think they only have eight sacks on the year. But I think right. it's important when you look at defensive lines, it's not all about the sack numbers. It's about do they stay in their gaps? Do they make quarterbacks uncomfortable? And then they let their back seven take care of it. I mean, Maryland was ranked fifth in the country in sacks hanging in the last week, Sean. But they couldn't they couldn't cover the edges. I mean, how many big run plays did, did Iowa have? I think the yardage and the average was a bit skewed. But I'm much I'm very confident in saying that Penn State's defensive front's a lot better than Maryland's defensive front. So you can't just look at the sack numbers. I think some people do. You just got to look at the way they work as a team defense and collectively as a unit. I mean, there's a reason why Penn State's third in the country in scoring defense. Yeah, no, most definitely. And you know, there's it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. It's a really fascinating matchup. Blake uh, Brockmeyer did a really good piece um on Iowa and Penn State and you know how how this game is scouted and how this game could be X's and O's wise and you know it's it's two it's two teams with similar styles defensively and you know how is how is each offense going to react to that I think you know Penn State's got some different looks when it comes offensively but you know there's some similar personnel there they don't use the tight ends as much as Iowa but you know they got playmakers on the outside they got guys in the backfield that can make big plays and you know, Spencer Petrus is nowhere, I, I feel bad saying this, but nowhere near as mobile as a Sean Clifford. And, you know, that's where I think this that difference maker could be in this game is Penn State having a mobile quarterback. I mean, we talked about it, too, with Iowa State. There were a couple times where Brock Purdy was able to slip out of the pocket and extend plays. But, you know, Iowa was able to frustrate them and able to extend those plays. And, you know, while we talk about the quarterback being able to extend plays, it's also the defense that can extend plays. You know, if you're if you're a quarterback running around in the pocket constantly not able to find anybody, then you know what that's just as effective um for the defense. You know, I know the court the defense is not getting to the quarterback, but you know, that just makes things more hectic and makes forces bad decisions potentially. Yeah. And you know, I think that's where Iowa can get Penn State as well in that regard is, you know, yes, Sean Clifford can extend plays, yes, he can get outside the pocket, but you know, if you force, if you rush him and, you know, if he's, if that play is really extended and, you know, he needs to get the ball off, he's tired or, you know, just wants to end the play. That's, that's where mistakes can happen. You know, I think Iowa's done a good job of shutting out the outside noise for the most part. I mean, talking to the players earlier this week too, I, I really think they are prepared for the moment. I wrote a column earlier this week talking about basically the long journey of this, you know, going back to last summer, the Michigan state win, which we've talked about quite a bit, Sean, but it, that was the landmark victory of the last few years of Iowa football, especially in the regular season, because it changed the trajectory of where the program was heading. So now they've won 11 straight games, 10 of which by double digits. Penn State's last loss came against Iowa. So, I mean, this these two teams combined have a 20-game win streak hanging into this one. So I, I think the team is locked in. I've talked to, you know, quite a bit to people behind the scenes. They always talk about the bond of this team and how close they are. And I do think that that's going to play a big impact. And I do think for the first time in a long time, the crowd's going to have somewhat of a factor in it. And I don't think you can overstate that. I mean, I mean, we got to the point, Sean, where 
you know, everybody's really analyzed this, but I feel like people are giving Iowa a couple more points than typical three points for, for the home field advantage. I think that the Kinnick crowd could make a big difference in this one. I think it could be, I think it could be a big difference for the younger Iowa players who don't really have experience playing in front of a, a crazy ruckus Kinnick crowd. And I, you know, it's going to go back to this, Sean. I know I talked about the offensive line. This is Spencer Petrus's chance to really, really, quiet down the crowd, make a name for himself in the big 10 and start to be known more now as a game manager. And if they want to come, you know, if people want to say he's a game manager, that's fine. I, he doesn't care, but they're going to have to ta- attach a winning game manager to it. Cause right now all he's doing is winning. He has a big chance against a very, very talented secondary. And I think for the first time this year too, Sean, I think special teams get play a huge factor in this game. Penn state has a tremendous special teams unit. Jordan Stout, outstanding punter. Jihad Dotson in the return game. We know what Charlie Jones can do in the punt return game. Field position is going to be huge in this one. So while I think Iowa really does throw out some new wrinkles for offense, I think at times they are still going to play more conservatively and really, really try to pin Penn State back to force those potential short field opportunities because Jordan Stout's not going to be a guy that uh, that shanks a punt. This is a guy that averages about 49 yards a punt. So it's going to be a big factor in this one. So I think there's a lot of factors that we haven't really had to take into account in previous games, Sean. There's going to be some weird ending to this game. I don't know what it is, whether it be a game wing field goal, you know, maybe like the Iowa State, a muff punt. Like there's going to be just the tiniest of margins. Like I really have a hard time seeing either team make, you know, remotely blow out the other opponent. I mean, this is going to be, I think Brandon Marcello wrote a piece on this earlier this week. It, it could be an all-time game, and I think it could be the Big Ten game of the year. Yeah, I mean, I don't agree with you. I mean, or I don't disagree with you. As I was, I was thinking as you were talking, or before you mentioned that, I was like, I was thinking about saying, "Hey, maybe another six-four game." I don't think it'll be that weird, but you know, I think it it could be weird. There is potential for it to be, you know, a weird finish. And I mean, even like the Penn State Iowa game back in my freshman year, twenty seventeen, yeah. that game, like, I like. You know, that was the Saquon Barkley game, right? Yeah, it's just like that. Like there, was, I don't know what it was about that game. Obviously, you know, it ended in such a weird way, but it's like it's hard to describe. It's like stuff just happens, and you're kind of like, "Whoa!" Like, can you imagine just like the total 180 degree turn if they don't make that pass? But yeah, and then Iowa wins that game, or you know, who was it? Was it Amani Hooker? Or was it? Yeah, it was, it was like Hooker. the. I, I don't know. It wasn't Amani Hooker. It was. Maybe Wait, it wasn't Geno Stone. No, it wasn't Geno. I think Gino it was Amani. Like, like the quarter inch away with the fingertips on that pass. You might have to find that play, but I remember exactly what you're talking about. Jawan, I think Jawan Johnson had that catch in the end zone on that. Then Trace McSorley punted the ball in the crowd. Trace McSorley. Yeah, they, throw uh, it on a dime. <laughs> <laughs> um. Who was it? I want to say it was Imani Hooker. I'm trying to remember. I don't know why I can't remember that, but you're right, Sean. I mean, these Iowa-Penn State games are very weird. I mean, Sean, let's go back a couple years ago with Nate Stanley. Remember Iowa got down to the, what, the five-yard line or something like that? They had that, what, the was that the, uh, that wasn't the interception. That was against the Northwestern team, right? Where they meant to call timeout. Noah Fant didn't know the play was going on, and, and Stanley threw a pick. Or was that in the Penn? I think that was in the Penn State game, actually. Yeah, I I can't remember. You you'd know better than me there. 
I'm trying to remember. I think it was that, but I'm saying, remember, I think Nate Stanley threw like 18 of 42 that game. It was a rainy, muddy game. Uh, and Iowa fumbled it a couple of times as well. They had their chances to win it. They just couldn't pull it away. Like these Iowa Penn State games are just ridiculous in the weirdest way. And I think if there's ever a time to predict a weird ending, it's going to be this year. So we'll come back to give our predictions in a minute, Sean. But I do want to talk about the national implications of this game just for a couple, you know, quick minute or so. Because, you know, I, I've said this. I think that this game is much for this game's much more important for Penn State than Iowa from the co- like a college football playoff Rose Bowl perspective, because Penn State's gonna have to go against Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State still. And if you look at Iowa's remaining schedule, they're going against the Big Ten West opponents. So even with a loss for Iowa, they still have a shot to go 11-1. They make, you know, the Big Ten championship. And if they beat a Penn State, if they have a rematch with the Penn State, the Big Ten championship, Sean, the reality is Iowa's still going to have a, a case for the college football playoff because they aren't going to drop that far in the rankings. They lose Penn State. It's going to be a huge thing. But on the flip side of it, I've said this. I think that if Iowa wins on Saturday, it's a potential ripple effect and it changes to the trajectory and the national brand of the program. Iowa's taken care of business in the win column over the past year. I mean, they've won 11 straight games, like I mentioned earlier, but with multiple five stars on campus, with high caliber four stars on campus, like you change the recruiting trajectory with statement wins and statement games. And with what Iowa could potentially have on Saturday, that's what you call a program defining victory and to really push the national brand forward because all I know the red river shootouts, obviously you have a lot of eyes on it, but the epicenter of college football this weekend's in Iowa city, Iowa with the first top five showdown, a uh, first top five, big 10 showdown without Michigan or Ohio state since 1962. So the, the implications are huge, but at the same time, it's not a season ender and Iowa could still, you know, obviously go to the big 10 championship and really make something special out of this year. Yeah, see, I've gone, I've gone back and forth on the whole national brand thing. Um, you know, I get where you're coming from. Like a lot of people assume Iowa eight and four, nine and three. You know, they're gonna beat teams they're not supposed to at times, but they're also gonna lose games that they're that they're going that they're not supposed to lose. And you know, that's just kind of how it is. And yeah, you're right. I think this is a chance to you know boost the program morale or not morale, the, the perception nationally, yeah, especially against a program like Penn State that, you know, I wouldn't say is more flashy, but is known for getting more talent, more having more talent on the football field. And, but also it's like, yes, the brand, like the whole perception of it can change, but, you know, maybe Iowa just does it differently in the way that, you know, they don't, they don't have a quarterback that, can make plays all over the field or, you know, runs around the pocket. Um, don't have wide receivers that are making highlight catches. You know, they're just a solid football team, and, you know, just stay disciplined, do what they need to do to win. And, you know, I think that, I think there's something special to that um, in terms of Iowa and, you know, how they've gone about things, how Kirk parents has gone about things. But, you know, I also see what you're saying. It's like, yeah, like kids, like kids want to go where, or recruits want to go where, you know, they're going to get their name known, you know, they're going to be on national TV. They're going to be highly regarded. You know, they're going to get, especially with all this NIL stuff now, like they're going to get those opportunities. Um, But, you know, a place like Iowa, it's like, yeah, you can go, you can go to a place like that, but you know, this is where you're going to be developed. This is where, you know, you're going to have coaches that, you know, know what they're doing and 
you know, know like what it takes to get to that next level and help you reach that full potential. And, you know, they're going to start seeing that. And it's like, yeah, you can go to those places, but you know, if you come here, you're still going to play in these big time games. You're still going to have the opportunity to play a championship. And, you know, I think that's so valuable, especially in a recruitment like Xavier Nwankpa. Um, You know, I don't want to get too much into it, but, you know, throughout his recruitment, I've heard, you know, Iowa has a shot, but, you know, it's on the outside looking in because he wants to go play for championships. And obviously Phil Parker in the development now, um, you know, and what he's done with the secondary is so important in this recruitment as well. But, you know, it's just like, the perception of Iowa is, you know, you go nine, three, eight, and four, but you know, this season's a real example of, okay, like you have an experienced group, you have experienced guys, you have a coaching staff that knows what it's doing. You know, you can get to that next level and you can play for championships here. You can compete for big 10 titles here. Um, and you know, that it definitely has a chance to change that perception. There's no doubt about it this weekend. So Sean, like I said, most of our Penn State preview coverage will come with Tyler Donahue, which will be coming up here in a couple of minutes. So let's let's go. You and I, our keys of the game and prediction. I've gone back and forth all week. I think I finally sold on my prediction. Uh, I'll start again. I think a couple of my biggest keys are make Penn State a one-dimensional offense. You live with that because there's not many one-dimensional offenses that will beat Iowa. That's just the reality of it. Um, I think Iowa needs to establish the run. They need to physically wear down Penn State. They have to have that extra boost of energy. I think the crowd, again, could play a big factor in it. And multiple Penn State play, former Penn State players have said the toughest place they ever played is Kinnick Stadium because the fans are literally right on top of you. So I think that's a big thing. And Spence, I think Spencer Petras needs to step up. I know there's a lot, you know, obviously they have to limit Jihad Dotson. They got to not be not make mistakes. They have to win the turnover battle. But Spencer Petrus has to play like he did last week against Maryland. He's got to be decisive. He's got to be confident. There was a different aura. There was a different swagger and confidence about him in the pocket these past two weeks once he started hitting those deep throws. That has to continue. He can't shrink in the moment. Because if you want to win big-time conference championships, you need a quarterback with that sort of swagger and that can step up in the moment. So I think Spencer Petrus – this is one of those games that will define what spent when Spencer Petrus leaves that these are the games that will define the caliber of quarterback. He is people will forget the, you know, the meat, you know, the quote unquote mediocre stat lines that they walked away with the win. They're going to remember what happens in the big time games. It does not get much bigger than this, especially in the regular season. So one dimensional offense, win the turnover bell, Spencer Petrus step up. I have Iowa winning 20, to 17. I think it's by the slimmest of margins, but I really think because of Kinnick and the way this team's really rallied around together and just based on the eye test, I, I do think Iowa's the better football team at this point. Yeah, I'm going to take Iowa in a slight one. And, you know, Nate Stanley had his chances throughout his Iowa career with some of these big games. And, you know, we talk about his record against Minnesota, Wisconsin, um, Iowa State, and, you know, being able to win or not Wisconsin against Iowa State, Minnesota, Nebraska. Um, and Nebraska, not not Wisconsin, but um, of definitely not against Wisconsin. But, you know, he had those opportunities, and that's what Petrus has here. He has an opportunity to, you know, cement himself as – okay, I don't want to say cement, but there's a big opportunity here for him to, you know, make something of, you know, his career early on. And, you know, there's – there's still a lot of him room for him to grow. And, you know, I still think he's got a really good career out in front of him, but you know, this could be that next step, you know, he's taken, he's taken some of the necessary footsteps to get there, but you know, this is, 
he's still on step, let's say he's still on step two, you know, and it's a really long step, like almost like a crosswalk step, you know, he can make that next, he can lift up his leg and get to that next step um, with a big win on Saturday. If that, <laughs> that analogy sounds so yeah. dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I no, I hear what you're saying though, too. And again, that like big time moments in big time games help players progression so much. Like if Spencer comes out and has a huge game, doesn't shoot himself in the foot, goes out there and, you know, completes a couple of big passes, walks away with a win. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's never going to go in, not confident into a game ever again, because he's been mm-hmm. on the big stage. Like all the eyes are going to be on him in this one. And the other thing too is Brian Ferentz has to keep up weighted last week. I thought that was one of his best game plans, his best called games. And as the Iowa offensive coordinator, I think the holiday bowl is close. I think the Ohio state game from 2017 is obviously up there, but he got the ball playmakers in space. Arlen Bruce, I think needs to be involved too. He just brings a different wrinkle to that offense. I'm a huge fan of that. And I'll say this too, Sean Tyrone Tracy's got to have a big game eventually. Like he's too talented not to absolutely, I don't want to say go crazy, but he's too talented not to be one of Iowa's biggest receivers in the big time games. And I think he's a big time player. And I think it's, an, again, you talk about the opportunity. I think it's an opportunity for Tyrone Tracy um, to, to be big into that. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I'll have my conversation with Tyler Donahue. And then Sean and I are going to wrap up talking a little bit of recruiting uh, to end this week's Swarmcast. So stay tuned. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. Time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. David Eichel, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the Swarmcast. Very, very pleased to be joined by a special guest, uh, Line247 expert analysis and everything else, Mr. Do-It-All, Tyler Donahue, who unfortunately is not going to be in Iowa City, but, uh, you know, I guess there's something called, you know, being there for your wife as she's about to go through labor. So, you know, I guess I understand that. But, Tyler, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's always good chopping it up with you. Uh, no, no pun on your, uh, you know, Rutgers grad there but uh, it's good to be talking to you man thanks for hopping yeah there was um you know looking ahead to this schedule back in february i already knew that whether or not this was going to be a top five matchup i wasn't going to be there my wife is due with our first child this friday so i'll be sticking here in state college pennsylvania and uh you know hopefully be able to get back on the road with the team later i'm sorry to miss the trip to iowa city really enjoyed my last one there a couple of years ago. It was another game that went down to the wire. I know that's shocking for all of your listeners. Um, <laughs> these have been some hectic matchups. And as you and I were just bouncing around our potential predictions, man, get, get the heartburn medicine ready. I don't care who you're yeah. rooting for in this one. I, I just see a really tight contest. 
Yeah, no, no doubt. So uh, obviously, Tyler, my best wishes and all of, I'm sure all of our subscribers best wishes to you and your wife as, as you Thank guys you. prepare to welcome a new member of the family. So, you know, with that being said, Tyler, I think there's a thousand different ways that we can really go into this matchup. I and mean, we talked about it on your podcast a couple of days ago. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, be sure I upload it as a Swarmcast episode. But if you want to go boost up, you know, line 247's numbers, that's completely fine, too. Uh, so, Tyler, I guess let's just start with the general impressions of this game and with this Penn State team. Uh, I mean, I think everybody anticipated they were going to bounce back strong this season. But, I mean, especially defensively, I mean, this is a very salty bunch. I mean, what's been really uh, – well, I guess what stood out to you so far about just this team and just the general impressions of this matchup? I think clearly we're, we're talking about two programs, both sides of, the, of this game, that are very galvanized right now. They're riding win streaks that go back to last fall. They took some punches to the mouth early last fall. Penn State took a few more than Iowa took on their way to 0-5. And in fact, that's the last loss that Penn State has suffered was that fifth loss of the 2020 season to Iowa in Beaver Stadium. Like many of the losses last year, it wasn't particularly close and it snowballed. And that was a matchup that if your your listeners remember, Will Levis got the start. He's now Kentucky's starting quarterback down in the SEC. That was the one game in his career that Sean Clifford was sidelined due to performance. He missed a game as a redshirt sophomore because of injury. That's the one game, though, uh, where they said, we don't think you're our QB1 right now. He was back in the game after halftime against Iowa had a couple turnovers. It was an ugly loss for them. But since that point, this team has not lost. Sean Clifford has started all nine of those games. And the big thing for him, and it's continued into the season, is the lack of turnovers. During the 0-5 start last year, 10 total turnovers for Sean Clifford. Three of them resulted in defensive touchdowns. I think one of those defensive touchdowns was scored by the Iowa Hawkeyes, if I recall correctly. And then these last nine games now, Sean Clifford only has five total turnovers. Of his three interceptions this year, I would say one you can pin on him as a very poor decision. The other came toward the end of the first half against Auburn. Kind of one of those things where you throw the ball up. If it's intercepted, the other team's pinned, they'll take a knee. And then the other was deflected off a receiver's hand. So you can really only pin one interception on Sean Clifford through five games. And he was a wreck in that department last year. So I think that is the key factor. We'll get to some others. Going into a matchup against the Hawkeyes who have feasted on takeaways. To me, that is the biggest juxtaposition um, is is how does how do those two things end up being married on Saturday and who gets the better of the deal? Yeah, no, I think that's I mean, I think it's the obvious storyline is, you know, heading I'll, I'll relate this back to the Maryland game last week with Iowa. I mean, Talia Tugavaloa is the most accurate passer in the country, most efficient passer in the country, according to pro football focus. He'd thrown zero passes that were, quote unquote, interceptable footballs. Iowa picked him off five times. They had a sixth one that they picked off on their backup quarterback. But Iowa's defense right now, they're just saying, hey, you know what? We're going to run the same base. We're going to let you do what you want. But just know the second you make a bad read, the second they get an opportunity, they're going to hop on it. And it, it, so it's I'm very interested to see what kind of Sean Clifford is going to show up in Kinnick Stadium on that. Because he is a guy that, at least from what I've seen, maybe, again, maybe you can correct me on this. Not that he has the snowball effect that Tagovailoa did, because I think that is just a different caliber in itself. I think he showed that last year. Uh, but Clifford, I think it can snowball. But I do think that the reality is that Sean Clifford also has shown the ability to fight back. And he's shown the ability to, you know, bring this team back. And, you know, it, it was interesting. I was reading through some of your comments that, 
You know, people said that Iowa's defense typically does a really good job against mobile quarterbacks. I think they've done better, but I mean, I still think Sean Clifford's legs could be a huge deciding factor in this game. Uh, I, I Again, I think Noah Kane, depending on how healthy he is, who knows with that, I think Noah Kane could be a big factor. Um, but Sean Clifford, if he can escape the pocket and keep looking for those downfield plays, I mean, he's going to be a guy that, you know, I know a lot of people point to Brock Purdy probably being the best quarterback that Iowa's played thus far, but I think Sean Clifford's probably the best dual threat quarterback that I was going to face on their schedule at least up until this point he's an excellent runner and I know this might surprise some of your listeners but he is actually faster in the 40 yard dash than Trace McSorley was and Trace McSorley could move and I, I think that because of the way they are playing this year um, and the way that they've leaned on their passing game and, and let's start there I mean this was a, a team that if you told me Penn State was 5-0 and going on the road to Iowa number four team in the country I would have assumed that they have been a team that leaned on defense which they have but also the ground game. I would have assumed that you know those five former four-star running back recruits that Penn State has on the roster have done a lot of work. They probably got two or three guys that look like running back one, um, and they're rolling right now, and they're allowing Sean Clifford to manage games and avoid being a guy that, that's yeah. put out there to be exploitable by opposing defenses. Instead, it's Sean Clifford leading the charge here. He's got 67% uh, completion. That's seven points higher than last year. He's got 12 total touchdowns. I mentioned the three turnovers that he has in the season. That is way down uh, on, on what we saw from Sean Clifford. And I'm, I'm very careful, though, to talk about anything with certainty with Sean Clifford, because I feel like we've seen three versions of him over the sure. course of his Penn State career. 2020, I know that he would love for us all to put that into a box along with the entire season, essentially, for Penn State. And Franklin would love it, too. Bury that box in the backyard or burn it. Just get rid of any evidence that 2020 happened. There's a few other college football programs that feel the same way about last year. Yeah. How, what, however, um, I think you got to go back to 2019 and remember Sean Clifford was an emerging player on an unbeaten Penn State team that came yeah. out of October, ranked number four in the country in the college football playoff rankings before they lost on the road at Minnesota. And they also lost later that month at Ohio State. They ended up 11 and two with a Cotton Bowl win. Along that way, though, Sean Clifford went from kind of a guy who couldn't do anything wrong. His first Big Ten start at Maryland, he was the uh, conference player of the week. But he went on the road to Iowa in 2019. It was a game that Penn State won, but they leaned on defense and they leaned on Noah Kane. Noah Kane was huge in the fourth quarter. It was really a coming out moment for him at running back as a freshman. And the offensive line played well enough to give them a chance to run that game out and, and play four-minute offense, something that Penn State hasn't always been able to do in putting away games against quality Big Ten opponents on the road. So that was a game, though, where Sean Clifford, you started to see some of the deer in the headlights from him, some excitable moments from him. And he never was able to shake that off. It, it kind of avalanched a bit. And we saw more of that in 2020. Haven't seen that guy pop up, though. Even when they had one first down in the first half at Wisconsin, Clifford was taking his shots in the third quarter, yeah. playing confidently. And he was able to snap into that. Uh, it's very difficult for me to tell you what Sean Clifford will show up because I'm starting to get used to this Sean Clifford that seems very accountable very careful with the football, but also a guy that understands the talent around him, trusts his receivers, starting with Jahan Dotson. But remember, Parker Washington made a push for freshman uh, of the year last year in the Big Ten with what he did at wide receiver. And they've got an emerging player there in Keandre Lambert-Smith, a nice tight end group. But what's surprising here is really feels like he needs to go out and play that kind of a game now because unless proven 
wrong from what we've seen the first five weeks, Penn State doesn't have a ground game that it can rely upon to go win a game in Kinnick against this defense. So that's a lot to ask of Sean Clifford, and it's going to be need to be that renewed version of Sean Clifford because the old one, no way do you see him going and getting a win against this Iowa team. You know, and I think that's going to be the point that I think most people are overlooking heading into this matchup. I think the ground game is the X factor for Penn State because I think Iowa traditionally, again, unless it's David Bell, they do well against one-dimensional offenses. I think Maryland, yeah, you know, they're running back average seven yards carry. They were, they're not a heavy running team. They're a one-dimensional, downfield, explosive, big play offense. I mean, obviously, there's Dante Demas Jr. was injured, you know, and he's out for the year, which sucks because I think he's an outstanding player, great talent. But Iowa traditionally does well against one-dimensional offenses. So I think if Iowa – it's one of my keys to the game. If Iowa makes Penn State a one-dimensional offense, I think that's going to go a long way in Iowa's chances – but if Penn State and Noah Kane can find a way to really get going, uh, you know, I, I really think that it that gives a slight edge back to Penn State. So but we've talked about Clifford. Talked a little I do bit want to talk off. about Kane, though, I, I, if you don't mind, because yeah. you mentioned him on our podcast, too. Yeah. And, and I think maybe this is something I should clear up, not just for you, but for your listeners, because Noah Kane has started all five Penn State games yeah. at this point. You look at the, at the total carries and, and he's far and away the guy running back. But the last couple of weeks, uh, there's been an issue where he was banged up going into the Villanova game. We saw him early. I think the first possession didn't see him for the rest of the way. We saw him sporadically last week in Indiana. He was involved in the fourth quarter. He was the starter again. But over the course of that game, he was probably their third or third most most effective running back and probably fourth most effective runner if you factor yeah. in Sean Clifford. He doesn't look right. He's coming off of an injury last year. Um, he, he had a nice fourth quarter on the road at Wisconsin. They probably don't win the game if he doesn't come alive there late in the game. But at this stage, doesn't look like a guy that, that is going to be the catalyst, the bell cow. The name to know, I think, if you're looking for an emerging running back. And Kane may get the start, and maybe he can rewrite that narrative. But Kevon Lee, he's had some ball security issues. And if it happens again in Kinnick, he'll be sequestered to the sideline the rest of the way. But we're talking about a six-foot 240 pound running back who's running in the four five range came on strong last year and he's waiting to, to, I think launch. If he gets that opportunity, he can take advantage of it. Um, he's a guy that you got to deal with. And then John Lovett is the other running back who, who may look more effective or get more touches than Noah Kane in this matchup transfer from Baylor was a three time leading rusher for the bears down there in the big 12. He has 25 ish touches in the last couple of weeks. We didn't see him at all in the first two weeks, all of a sudden Penn state's utilizing him. So it's not the Kane show by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. It, wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me, David, if, if by the end of the game, you look at the stat sheet and you see Kevon Lee and John Lovett both end up with more touches than Kane over the course of the game. That's going to be really interesting to me if that happens. Like you said, I was a little bit aware of Kane's, I mean, ongoing issues. I mean, I've read enough of your board and your stuff, so I appreciate you uh, clearing that up. But, you know, there's obviously a lot of talk about the Iowa defense, but let's dive into this Penn State defense. I mean, Penn State, uh, the sack numbers don't – I thought their sack numbers would be much higher – but the reality is it's, it's kind of like Iowa from a, a different standpoint. They don't need the sack numbers to be higher. I mean, you look at that secondary. I mean, I think it's, you know, a lot of people want to, you know, Ohio State might have the most on paper talent. They aren't pulling it together. Iowa and Penn State, I think, have the best two secondaries in the conference. And, you know, I think right now that's not particularly close. So I think Joey Porter Jr. might be one of my favorite players to watch in the Big Ten. I'm a huge, huge proponent of his thing. He's an incredibly talented player. But give us the four, you know, give us a four one one about this Penn State defense because I think you know you look at the efficiency numbers between the two teams. Obviously, Iowa's got the takeaways, but 
man, this Penn State defense, I mean, they're they're just a salty, physical, very tough bunch. Very fun, very impressive to watch. We knew they would be better and significantly better than they were in, in 2020. It, it doesn't help when you when your preseason when your best player, your centerpiece player, Micah Parsons opts out because the schedule mm-hmm. scheduling's a concern and, and it was a mess. And then they weren't tackling and it was an absolute mess last year for them defensively for much of the season. And you saw that if you're an Iowa fan and you watched that game here in Happy Valley completely different now this is a group that is buttoned up it's accountable there aren't lapses I mean even when this team was playing some of its best football that I've covered in 2017 and 2019 when they're part of that college football playoff conversation in November there were some trust issues about busting big plays against this defensive secondary or producing enough up front or being able to stop the run when a team really wants to run the ball on you right now they're doing all of that pretty well and I think we're going to see pretty tightened up uh, rotations I think you're going to probably see three defensive ends three defensive tackles um, you know f- maybe four cornerbacks involved they've got depth at these positions but I think in this matchup able to get a little bit of rest for some of those guys against Villanova in week four and against Indiana since they won 24 to nothing they got some unexpected rest there I think yeah. so I think they're going to play top heavy with their guys big difference maker here and, and probably the biggest difference since you last saw Penn State is right down the middle to me safety Jaquan Brisker is playing certainly at an all big 10 level I think you, you look at him setting the tone with that Wisconsin game he did so much ball battling injuries in that matchup to make sure they left Madison with the win. His performance has been uh, at the safety position, uh, uh, something that they haven't had. I, I don't think in the Franklin era at this level. Uh, and then up front middleman, J- PJ Mustafer. He put on about 25, 30 pounds during the off season. He's a former top 10 overall tackle recruit coming into Penn state in 2018. Good player, started a bunch of games, played a bunch of games, but he is a different animal now. A guy that I think is starting to soar up NFL draft boards, and really he's a pivotal reason why Penn State is able to to hold its own in the trenches and let their linebackers attack because they've got two former five-star recruits, Brandon Smith, Curtis Jacobs, both showing flashes. They're, they're first-year starters in their current roles. Brandon Smith was a starter on the weeks uh, at, uh, at Sam linebacker. Now he's a starter at Will. So those two linebackers, I think, are going to be X-factors here particularly Jacobs facing this situation. How are they going to cover Laporta at tight end? How are they going to handle this, this, all the sea of yellow and, and the, the stands being up on you? It's a different environment, but right now this defense has been tested and they have stood tall. They've eight times. This is the craziest stat from the, uh, from the first five games to me about this Penn state team. Eight times has a team scored points on 15 total red zone trips against this Penn state defense, not just field goals points, so seven yeah. times, seven times this Penn State defense saw an offense reach its red zone and did not give up a single point. Happened to happen twice late against Wisconsin, again late against Auburn. So they've done it in big moments. And for an Iowa team that's had great field position, the other thing I'll be careful to mention here, and I mentioned we talked about this on Twitter a, a couple nights ago, Jordan Stout, tack him on as kind of the 12th man with this defense. He's punting the ball at an all-Big Ten caliber. He's twice been the the conference player of the week for special teams. I know special teams is a strong suit for Iowa, but you're going to have a match here with Jordan Stout. He's a guy that not only does he have long range on field goal, but what he does for this team hasn't given up a single kickoff return yard through five games, and he's just burying opponents. Uh, The average starting field position for Penn State's opponents this year, the 24.8-yard line, that ranks eighth nationally, and that is very different than what Iowa has encountered through five weeks. Of course, their defense can make a big difference in that discussion this Saturday once again. 
You know, that's a, you know, I think you're preaching to the choir here as far as Iowa fans. I think you, you understand the culture because, you know, Iowa and punting and Kirk Ferentz and punting are just go hand in hand. So, you know, way, way to hype up the matchup more between Jordan Taylor and Jordan Stout. I mean, I think people would pay, you know, a hundred dollars a ticket, $200 ticket, whatever it is to go watch a punting battle. So I think, I think they'll both get plenty of use if the yeah. defenses <laughs> play the way I think they will play. But, um, you know, just so we don't, I, you, you asked me this question the other day and it, it not didn't take me by surprise, but it was, you know, you know how we are when we talk about these sort of things. I almost made up my answer on the spot and I just kept going. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is making sense. I'm going to keep rocking with this. But just so we don't think this Penn State team is completely unbeatable, what are what are some flaws? What are some things that, you know, that not, not that Penn State's worried about, but things are really going to have to tighten up and maybe I, find, Iowa could find a way uh, to really utilize it to their advantage? If Iowa exposes Penn State, on Saturday, it's going to be Penn State's inability to run the football when everyone in that stadium knows that Penn State needs to run the football. I'm talking about third and one uh, near midfield. I'm talking about third and goal from the two-yard line. Um, these are situations where Penn State would seem to have the personnel talent, roster talent to be able to execute. And thus far, regardless of who their opponent has been, really, I mean, we're talking about uh, whether it's Ball State or Wisconsin or Villanova or Auburn, it's kind of been a recurring theme where this Penn State offensive line, the tight ends, the cohesive unit, the running backs, they have not been able to get that job done. And, and, and there's concerns that stem to running back. We just talked about that. I don't know. They, like, I think ideally they either want to have a running back one who wins the job and runs with it or three guys who are playing at such a high quality that they can't determine who is the starter. Right now they have neither of those things. Maybe that changes. This will be a heck of a spot for that to pivot. If you're Penn State on the road against Iowa, and I think that would, would, would do a huge favor for them and, and coming home with a win if they can get their ground game going. But Jury's out on that in a big way. So that is a huge concern, a surprising concern, uh, because they're in their second year with offensive line coach Phil Troutwine, who was pretty well acclaimed, a former starter with the Florida Gators on the offensive line, uh, did really good work up in Boston College, and he's got a bunch of blue chips he's working with, but it hasn't come together. Um, that needs to change. And I think additionally, can Penn State win one-on-one battles off the edge defensively um, mm. without sending blitzers? Because if they, I think if they can hang back, their defensive secondary, their coverage skills at linebacker can really present some problems for Iowa's passing game and really force them to, to have to showcase some pinpoint passing. But can you get the quarterback scrambling outside the pocket? Can you make him feel uncomfortable where his eyes can't be positioned downfield post-snap throughout? That's going to be on Arnold Abikati, the Temple transfer, who has been a revelation for Penn State as a starting defensive end. And then Jesse Lucetta, who you may remember as a Penn State starting linebacker. Well, let me reintroduce you to Jesse Lucetta, Penn State defensive end. And he has been way better in that role than we thought and certainly better than he was at linebacker. So to me, that's the story for Penn State is can they run the football when everyone knows they need to run the football? Because they did that in 2019 and they won the game. If, if they can't do that, I don't think they win the game. And then can you get pressure off the edge? Ebicady, Lucetta, they did a nice job of that against Michael Penix in Indiana. You and I talked about this. That might be a bit of a matchup concern for Iowa because on the perimeter, their offensive line, I think this is the biggest test they will face at the offensive tackle position to this point in the season. Yeah, and I think that's where it's going to come down to can Iowa, you know, carry over what they showed against Maryland just from that standpoint. And granted, it's pretty easy to have confidence when you, you know, you get up, you know, 28 points. You know, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. I mean, I'll throw this out stat out real quick about last week before I get your final prediction here. But Maryland ran nine plays in the second quarter. Five of them 
I believe five of them were turnovers and four were penalties. I mean, you talk about an all-time worst quarter. And again, I think when that happens, you just sort of, the offense is feeling good. They're feeling confident. And I think that really helped them. And I also think being at Kinnick Stadium is going to really kind of ramp up these younger guys as well. But like you said, I think it's the biggest tested date on the edge. So Tyler, big moment. Uh, who you got? What's the saying factor? And uh, if you have a score prediction, great. If not, I get it because I'm still fluctuating myself here <laughs> for the next 48 hours or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I think ultimately both of these programs are going to show they belong in this conversation as top five, top 10 teams moving forward. I don't think anyone should be discredited based on the way they play if they both play how I think they will. Thus, I think we got a game hanging in the balance with four minutes remaining on the clock. Someone's got the ball as a tie game or someone's up by one or two points. I think it's that kind of matchup. And we've seen that play out in Kinnick between these two teams uh, several times, it feels like, especially under James Franklin. I'm looking at this matchup, and, and I, I know there's a lot of respect for Jahan Dotson on Iowa's side. I do wonder, though. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I do wonder, if Sean Clifford, here's, here's where I come down to, if Sean Clifford is who we have seen through the first five weeks, and that is where he's going to veer toward, I don't think he needs to be a perfectionist on the road here. I think that he needs to not fall back into old habits. He needs to let Mike Yersich hammer into him everything he has hammered into him through the first five weeks. And if I, if I think if we get the Sean Clifford we've seen, I do believe Penn state will come home with a three point win. And, and so I'm telling you how much that margin for error is thin. Maybe I am making the mistake of putting my feet, both of them on the bandwagon that Sean Clifford is a different quarterback and evolved quarterback, but I'm buying into it at this point. I've talked to him after every game. I'm starting to believe it more week after week. He's entering a buzzsaw against Iowa. I didn't think this was a season where I would give Sean Clifford any benefit of the doubt, much less this early in October, but I'm doing it in this situation. I think Penn state will prevail. I'll go 20 to 17. I don't know if that's a store score. I'll give our listeners later in the week. I'll go 20 to 17 though, Penn state. And like I said, I think regardless of who gets tagged with a loss here, if they can take care of their business the rest of the way, they need to be in the conversation when the college football playoff committee sits down and tries not to screw this thing up. I was going to say, especially for Penn state, even if they did lose, I mean, they got four, you know, three other, what top 11 teams in the country on their schedule remaining with Michigan, Michigan state and Ohio state. So, I mean, the path's there. I mean, Ohio state's looking at the same way. So interestingly enough, Tyler, I have Iowa 2017. Uh, and- <laughs> I mean, punters and kickers, man. And and in Penn State and Penn State's case, it's the same guy. (laughs) It's going to be it's going to be very, very fun to watch. Uh, Be sure, you know, if you want to learn more about the Penn State team, be sure to go to Lions 247 
Dot well, com. can we can we agree on this? Can we agree on this? If Let's someone go goes out and hammers the opponent, whether it's Penn State goes on the road and, and whoops Iowa, or Iowa smacks around the Nittany Lions and sends them home with a loss, if it's that kind of a result, that team needs to be respected in a completely different way than they yeah, currently are. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think you look around the college football landscape, and I think I, I said this to you again on your podcast was worth bringing up again. There are two golden teams right now in college football. It's Alabama, Georgia. I know people want big 10 people hate it. Everybody hates it. I put Georgia number one right now because that defense is the most unbelievable thing I think I've watched in, in quite some time, but you're exactly right. If one team hammers the other team, it's not going to be a fluke win. It's not going to be, I don't want to hear any of that. They need to be in that upper echelon of there are three teams in the college football playoff that are guaranteed at this moment. Like, as I know, there's no debate to wiggle them around to three or four or five. Like, they are number, the number three or number two team in the country. So, and at the end of the day, we're only halfway there after this. Exactly. There's a long way to go. <laughs> exactly. Well, at least you get to watch the Big Ten East. We'll, we'll settle right. for the Big Ten West. So, but Tyler, hey, I, I appreciate I know our listeners appreciate the insight. Again, go to lions247.com. Be sure to follow uh, Tyler on Twitter. I'll be tagging it on my profile as well. Uh, Tyler, best of luck. I mean, no matter what happens this weekend, I mean, you're going to have a great weekend. You're going to have a new addition to the family. Uh, again, all my best to you and, and your better half and, and all your family and friends. So, you know, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Top five matchup is awesome. Uh, an incoming daughter, certainly right now, a little more relevant and in front <laughs> of my mind. But I'm happy to talk about this game with you. It's been, it's been a pleasure on our podcast and here on yours, too. Okay, Sean, let's dive into some recruiting. I know we really don't like to touch too much on recruiting uh, during this type of thing, but, I mean, Sean, this is the biggest weekend I think Iowa's ever had as far as just pure star-studded talent. You've done a great job. You've been all over this. I mean, obviously headlined by the two Southeast Polk uh, guys, Xavier Nuwankpa, number one safety in the country, five-star caliber guy, 2022. Iowa's top target to this point. Caden Proctor, number one offensive tackle in 2023, Southeast Polk. And then Kyler Casper, All-American wide receiver, 2023. I mean, we could go down the list of names, Sean. There's a lot of four stars, a few five stars. But you talk about – I know you put it in your box nightly nuggets night. You talk about having the chance to be able to move the needle with some of these guys. This is such a big, big, big recruiting weekend for Iowa. Yeah, it's massive. You know, they can make a lot of moves this weekend. I, I – Mentioning the Nuggets, too, I think, you know, Xavier Nwankpa, obviously that's the headliner. I think Iowa can, you know, establish itself even more than it has with this visit, and, you know, especially with being an official visit. You know, Nwankpa wasn't even certain on taking an official visit to Iowa in the fall. You know, he was set on just taking that on official visit, and, you know, he was going to take Notre Dame and Ohio State and maybe LSU, and that was that. But, you know, Iowa's really cemented it there, and, you know, things are looking really positive, and obviously the secondary play helps big with that, but, you know, NIL as well. But, yeah, I mean, they could definitely really establish itself with the type of guys that they have on campus. And, you know, you don't want to get up and caught up in just one game when it comes to recruiting results or when yeah. it comes to recruits. Absolutely. Obviously, yeah, obviously, you know, they're going to want to pay attention to that. They're going to want to see schemes. You know, they're going to, you know, pay attention to the product on the field. But it's like, you know, they're there for the atmosphere. They're there to talk to the coaches. They're there to, you know, see what it's like to potentially put on the black and gold one day. And, you know, that's where the bigger part is and keeping that relationship process going and, you know, just being comfortable. And, you know, I think the Iowa staff does a really good job with that. Obviously, it's going to be a little different this week with 80 recruits being on or like somewhere around there. Um, it's going to be massive. But, yeah, there's definitely a chance for Iowa to – 
to make some moves with a number of guys. I talked about Nwank, but obviously Kyler Casper. I like where I was at there. Uh, Caden Green, a four-star offensive lineman, 2023. Uh, Caden Proctor. Um, you know, there's so many other guys, potential, a couple of potential flip candidates too, to keep an eye on, um, that we've mentioned before. And, you know, one that was just added to the list as well. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Talk about Xavier Nwankba and, and Ken Proctor. You know, I think Sean, there's no better time for NIL to come into effect because you talk about the local endorsements. Those two guys will get, if they go to Iowa, as opposed to anywhere else. I mean, I think that there's some opportunity there. I, you know, it's, it's tough to say how much that really factors in their recruitment and as far as what Iowa sort of preaching to them from the NIL standpoint. But again, you talk about Iowa, you know, people don't like to cop in stars because Iowa's development. And I, and I totally get that. They take a lot of pride in their development. But the reality, too, is, Sean, people don't like to say it. Stars translate to championships. Like, it, it's just statistically proven. Um, and that takes nothing away from the development of, you know, all Big Ten caliber guys who go under the radar. I mean, look at Jack Campbell. That's a guy who probably should have had 20-plus offers. Like, it's, it, yeah. I mean, when you and I watched him in the state playoffs, we both sat there and said, how does this guy not have more offers? Like, he's yeah. under the radar. So, you know, but – Again, Xavier Nuwonk, but you talk about a guy that's immediate impact guy. Kyler Casper, I'll tell you, he, uh, he'd be Iowa's best wide receiver recruit maybe ever. I mean, I watch his film, Sean. I mean, that's a six-foot, legit six-foot-five, six-foot-six, 195-pounder that could probably throw on 20 more pounds. Fast runner, high jumper, had a few clips of him high-pointing the ball. I mean, you talk about a guy that's the perfect fit for Iowa's exposition and could go in, I think, compete immediately for playing time. I mean, I mean, I'm all on board the Kyler Casper training. It's pretty easy to say that he'd be a fan favorite the second he walked on campus because of obviously his dad, Kevin, was a pretty solid player playing the NFL for eight years. So, I know, again, you've given us great content as far as the rundown of where Iowa stands. And, you know, I know some people want to get caught up in the Iowa's 2022 recruiting class rankings. Don't because Iowa's 2022 class is just not going to be big. It's going to be near the bottom, but you look at guys who are on the list right now, King Crawford's having a huge, huge senior season. He's going to be a big time guy. I think, I think Carson may, I think Iowa may have gotten a really good under the radar quarterback. I know his level of competition is an elite, but you watch some of the throws he's made. He's done a really nice job, I think as well. So it's going to be a, it's going to be, again, I hate overusing this word, Sean, but it's going to be very interesting to see what moves Iowa can make this weekend. Because again, they're going to be putting the full court press on. And I'm interested to see how Iowa's coaching staff and everybody really try to focus on the recruits pregame or just stay totally locked into the opportunity that they have in hand. I mean, I do think that's going to be a bit of a difficult balance, especially with how many kids are on campus. Yeah, most definitely. You know, I think a lot of recruits are really understanding about that and being like, um, okay, like they got a game to focus on too, but you know, just knowing a recruit's name and like shaking their hand and, you know, I mean, we when I've talked to recruits before, they said that Iowa does such a good job of just like knowing who they are, like yeah, knowing them. And you know, you don't get that at every school, and that's what Iowa does a really good job with. And you know, it's it could it could pay off. I mean, you know, you don't get ten minutes, ten fifteen minutes of conversation, but you get a couple, you know, three four minutes, and you know, that's that could that could make someone's day, honestly. Um, so yeah, I I definitely think the focus is gonna be on the game, but you know, the recruiting aspect is definitely there and, you know, definitely something in the back of the mind of the coaches and, you know, everyone in the support staff. And it's going to be really fascinating to see what the reaction was or what the reaction's uh, going to be after this weekend. I, 
I, I'm very intrigued to see if anyone pops for Iowa. Um, I think if there's potential for an offer or two, then, you know, there's a good possibility we could see a commit, but not guaranteeing anything right now. And I know we won't dive into this too much, but I, I do like where uh, Iowa sits with Xavier Nwankpa and a couple of the other t- top targets right now. I think Iowa's done a really, really good job of making up ground because I think Sean at one point, I think Steve Wiltfong said this morning, on uh, our Ohio State 24-7 sports site, they are talking about the Xavier Nwankwe recruitment. And Wilt Fong said if you had asked him back in June or July if Iowa had a chance, he would have said no. So I think that's a big, big, you know, I think you got to give a lot of credit, like you said, to Phil Parker, Iowa's success in the secondary and their early season success. Because, Sean, we will get down in on this down the road, but I was talking to John Miller, HawkeyePodcast.com, last night on Twitter, Twitter Spaces, and he, he's exactly right. He was agreeing with me. Like, there's a lot of excitement about this year. But, Sean, if everybody comes back next year, the way the schedule works out, I mean, you're talking about back-to-back 10-win season. So, it's like you look at this sort of stuff, and recruits do look at that. They say, okay, here's the schedule. Here's where our development's at. The, you know, the coaching staff is being consistent. Like, there is opportunity for growth there. And I think you look at the Big Ten West right now, Sean, and it sucks. It flat out sucks. Right now it's Iowa, everybody else, Nebraska, Wisconsin. That's really it right now. I mean, it's it's crazy the, the the differential between the Big Ten East and Big Ten West. I think this is one of the first years where you really, really see that that difference. I know everybody likes to talk about, oh, the East is always better. It's it's not, just statistically. But I know Steve Wolfong had a a nice preview on our on our site. I know you've done a bunch of stuff and I mean, all weekend, we're going to be completely locked in. We'll be getting these recruits' reactions to that. So stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com. And, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe keep an eye on the crystal ball over the course of the next week or so. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. But, Sean, any other final nuggets or topics you think we got hit on recruiting-wise or we pretty well summed it up? No, I think we're good. But um, real quick, like one-minute explanation. Did you say that the Big Ten East is better than the Big Ten – or the Big Ten East is not as good as the Big Ten West? I said traditionally, no, I think they're pretty even. I think that's overblown. But this season, the East is a lot better than the West. The West sucks right now. Yeah, I I thought you said that. I mean, I lean the Big Ten East heavy like almost every year. I think the top <laughs> heavy. I think with Ohio State, they have the top heavy. But, I mean, Penn State was getting better. Michigan, eh. Michigan State's been down. Maryland's been down. But then you look at you know, the flip side. You look at what Minnesota did a couple years ago. Uh, Wisconsin's consistency. Iowa, Northwestern. Like, I think there's a deeper top three or four in the West, typically, than the East. And if you look at the head-to-head matchups between the West and the East, I think the West holds a slight advantage over the past few years. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm just buying in too much to that other narrative. But, you know, we'll talk about that on a different podcast. So, all right. For Sean Bach, David Eichel, Swarmcast, HawkeyeInsider.com. Uh, currently running a sale for a few more hours, so get – on that go to hawkeye inside tomorrow it's actually going in it's actually going into tomorrow friday yeah so be sure to hop in on that go to hawkeyeinsider.com for that be sure to follow us on twitter at david eicholt at sbock 247 at hawkeyes on 247 love what we're doing here uh really appreciate all the support our numbers have been fantastic our growth's been fantastic and if you want us to keep it up uh please give us a five-star review on itunes and on everything else and uh yeah we'll talk to you soon thanks Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.